welcome to Women Beyond a Certain Age. It's Denise. Now, this is a very special podcast to me because our guest is going to be Andrea Collier. I'll let her speak in a minute. But I'd heard so many lovely things about Andrea from several women. So I just Facebooked her and said, Andrea, would you come be on my podcast? And she was gracious enough to say yes. And now we're Facebook friends, so I get to read her posts. And that's why she's here today, because I think she has so much information to share with us that's interesting to more than just me. Hello, Andrea. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you again. I know how precious everybody's time is. So Andrea and I have turned out, we had a five-minute conversation before we started recording, and of course, the connecting the dots, we have all sorts of similar people in our lives. But I really wanted to ask Andrea about, with the celebration of Juneteenth just becoming a federal holiday, Andrea had posted several things on Facebook. The way you said, sure, this is great, but let's talk about some background noise, okay? And I already told Andrea, but I'm repeating it for the audience. I, I swear, I'm 70 years old and I don't think I knew about Juneteenth until five years ago, okay? So I don't know how, I, why I didn't know about it, but it's really important and I love what you had to say. And I would just love you to give us some background information because Andrea told me she has just reignited in her soul and, and in passion about food history and how fabulous, how lucky for us. Because as an author and a freelance journalist, I know you've got tons of stuff to tell us. Oh my God, no pressure. <laughs> No, 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 no pressure. Let's I got start. excited and I ran on. Forgive me. <laughs> let's, let's start with Juneteenth. Uh, I think that most African-Americans, if you say Juneteenth, they'll nod and go, yeah, I know what that is. Uh, but not really, maybe, at least in my case. And many urban areas and, and some suburbs there are um, picnics and parades and about Juneteenth. And there is lots of barbecue and lots of picnics. But there's a really deep story behind it that I just discovered this year. And I am embarrassed to say that I discovered it this year. Is that the reason that it is Juneteenth is because on June 19th, a soldier showed up in Galveston, Texas and said, okay, you all are all free now to the slaves. But guess what? They've been free for two years and people just got around to telling them that. And I went, what? Nobody got around to telling them that they were free. And in fact, one of the aftermaths after all the woohoo celebration is slaveholders were like, wait a minute, where are you going? I didn't say you were free. And it cranked up all of this stuff. And the reason that I discovered it is I was reviewing a book by a woman named Annette Gordon-Reed called On Juneteenth, specifically about Juneteenth and uh, Galveston. And the interesting thing about the book is that 
she was also born and raised in Galveston. So she gives you a perspective of what it's like to be a Black woman in Galveston in 2021. I mean, she's a fabulous historian. She is wrote the quintessential book, which I can't think of the name of now, on Thomas Jefferson and his slave, Sally Hemings. Oh, okay. All right. I went to an all-Black high school, and I always felt pretty entitled because I knew a lot of Black history because of that. I didn't know that. And the more I read, the more I didn't know about stuff. And in this year of... COVID and and George Floyd and the Voting Rights Act, it made me say, girl, you got to study more. You know what? Of all, Andrea, for all of it, I, ha- I couldn't agree with you more. Because I, 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 for years, Andrea, before I kind of retired two years ago, I didn't watch TV. I didn't, I didn't have time. I would read occasionally, you know, I was, but I worked 50, 60 hours a week, like a lot of people that run small businesses. And so this year of COVID on Netflix, when I got to watch the 13th amendment and some of these special programmings that were done, my mouth was just hanging open the whole time. Do you know what I mean? And again, I mean, and then I said to my husband, I mean, I grew up in a middle-class suburb, you know, but in a wealthy suburb, I got to admit, but there were some, there were black kids at my school and there were black kids at other high schools, but I never heard any of this. That's all I'm saying. I get that. And I'm, and I kept saying to my husband, Jesus. So it gave me time to study exactly what you were saying. I'm grateful that this is all coming to light because it's about time. I think for everyone, but for me, it gives me, I, I have some I have frames of reference that I've never had before. When you were saying about Gaveston, if somebody's in charge, so if white men were in charge and they still own slaves, morally, of course, and legally, they should have told slaves that they were free, but why would they? Right. right. You know? People, unfortunately, one of the things that I think we've learned from knowing more history about America, some days I say to my husband, America, the unbeautiful, because it's just, I mean, it's a trail of tears. It's a a trail of all kind of stuff. But I want to also tell you that on the day that I finished the book for on June, on Juneteenth, on the day that I finished that book, I turned on the TV And in Texas, the legislature had passed a bill where you can't teach in school pretty much Black history, Hispanic history. You you can't really talk about race. You can't talk about racism. You can't talk about slavery. You cannot talk about, uh, what do they call it? I hate this word, counter-racial theory or whatever the heck it's called. Sometimes... Andrea, and that's the part to me that gets real confusing and you have to kind of sort through it. And then you realize that they've just come up with a new term for the same old crap. It's just another voter repression, um, not teaching the correct information in history. I mean, this has to come from, I think there has to be federal legislation. I don't think that we can trust states most of the time to, you know what I mean? Because 
and Texas is an example. I know people say, oh no, no more government. But if there isn't federal legislation, if there are a couple of, if there are politicians in states that don't, that just all they're looking for is their own, you know, their own goodwill, we're not gonna get to the bottom of any of this stuff. Now, one of the things that I saw yesterday that this sort of had me howling with laughter about something that really was sad and not funny is that an old friend of mine who is a white gentleman in his 70s posted a picture of an angry white mob yelling at kids who were desegregating a school, right? And they were angry and it was sort of frothing at the mouth and there were dogs and stuff. And, and the meme up under it says, and this is why they don't want to teach this history because they don't want to see their grandma yelling at people. Oh and I thought about it. Like, yeah, you could, if you know. Yeah. Who, if you were from certain states, you might see your grandma yelling at people. Yes. But it did sort of, it did sort of tickle and amaze me. I'm like, yeah, that could happen. This was one of the reasons when I saw your post on Juneteenth. See, this is how, and this is confusing to me. When people say happy Juneteenth, is happy the correct word because now it is a celebration, a celebration of freedom? Or I, I kept thinking, should it be saying honoring Juneteenth? Do you know what I mean? It's the same thing. I have the same problem with happy Memorial Day. Memorial Day is a very, you know, is, is about a lot of dead people, a lot of dead veterans and stuff and I never know if it's because all of a sudden we started doing white sales at you know at <laughs> you know all of a sudden we say happy because we get a day off but I'm not sure that happy is the correct term I'm just I'm serious I was so uncomfortable thank you because I was listening to and I and I'm like a news junkie right so <laughs> I, on Sirius FM XM David Alter, Alter Family Politics, and his family were talking about Juneteenth. And the conversation in this little segment, maybe there were two seconds about what Juneteenth means, but then the rest of it was, do we really need another day off? It was all about days off and sales. So I knew that I didn't quite know what to say about Juneteenth. The Juneteenth that I'm interested in is not that Juneteenth. It's about the same thing as Black Wall Street where folks came in and burnt the whole town down. And I, I need to know more of history, but I also need to see, say to the people who are listening to this and sort of rolling their eyes, this is American history. It's not just my history. It is our history. And if you're if you are of Asian descent in America, you got a piece of that pie. If you are Native American, you got a piece of that pie. If you are Jewish, you got a piece of that pie. We all got a piece of that pie, right? The melting pot is full. So why do we talk about land of the free and all this crap and sing this stuff and all upset about if you don't stand for the Pledge of Allegiance when basically we are in such shaky ground of bullshit that I'm just amazed by. It. I mean, when people do all that flag waving to me, I feel like saying, really? 
have you not, do you not, you know, have you not read the truth? Do you not study history? I don't get it. Well, I am, I would be lying if I said I wasn't concerned about where we are at this point. Um, Did you ever think in your whole life that you would see an angry mob of anybody storm the Capitol? Oh, no, in answer to your question. But after Trump was elected and I started to see the deplorables come out from under the rocks or the woodwork or wherever they live. That I never expected to see in my life, Andrea. And then I think the Capitol on January 6th was just kind of unbelievable. And people in Congress right now doing nothing about it. For many reasons. For many reasons. Well, I, way back when Trump was running against Hillary Clinton, I was doing a story for salon.com. And it was just this little thought that came up in my head is that I, like many people, I didn't think that he, Trump had a bad chance in hell of winning, right? So this was going to be sort of a little tongue-in-cheek story. But what I could see is that this candidacy, the way that he approached the world, the way that he went after people living with dis- disabilities and all of that, I'm like, yeah, you know, something is odd and it might not be him. It has created a culture of people that I, at that point, I called Trumpsters. Yes. I didn't know I just made it up. Trumpsters. So I pitched the idea of talking to Trumpsters about what was going on in their heads right now. It wasn't my job. I wasn't going to try to change their mind or educate them. I just wanted to know what they were thinking. Because at that point, I'm like, these are some good, decent people who want to feed their families just like I do. But something, there's something that's going on. So at first, I didn't think anybody would talk to me. (laughs) Like, Who's going to tell you that that's what's going on in their house? And then I ended up, believe it or not, through Facebook, through through I source a lot of stories on Facebook. I had 127 people volunteer to talk to me. Wow. And of course, I couldn't talk to 127, but I did talk to about 27. I think that God created the mute button for moments like this. So then I get to ask the question and then I hit mute and I just let them talk. And you could really see what was going on in people's heads. I remember one couple, oh man, he was just on fire. One of the first things he told me is, well, you know, Obama created Trump. Yeah. And, and you know what? And I could see that. I could see that the anger about having a Barack Obama really inflamed people and made them feel disenfranchised and all of that. And so he's just going on about those people, those people, those people. And his wife was in the room with him and she said, you know, it's possible that she's not white, that she might be black. And he said, Oh, well, anyway, and he just kept going, which was, which was fine. I wanted the truth. I didn't want him to clean it up, but I thought it was so funny that he was 
comfortably unhinged because he thought I was white. <laughs> comfortably unhinged. Now I'm gonna tell you something, I'm stealing that. I'm gonna use that in the conversation with somebody as soon as I can. You know what, Andrea, you've really, that is amazing, but amazing that you did it. When again, now this is when I say I'm back in the bubble again. I'm always looking, I'm always trying to look for the best in everything. I am just in me. That's how I am. The best in a worse situation, the best in someone horrible, the best. In, I try. I've tried. I was raised this way. Okay. When Hillary Clinton first used the word that night about deplorables in. I didn't like it. I was horrified. Yeah. The only time it's like the only thing I thought, oh, because I love her. I think she's, I, I admire her. I think she's given so much to so many different people, <sighs> tried so hard for so many people. And when she used that word, I kept saying, oh God, you shouldn't have used that word, what horrible thing. Well, of course, everything she said has come to pass. So, but I didn't like it because like you were saying, you're hoping because we are all just trying to get by. Do you know what I mean? In whatever way, wherever we are in the world, you're trying to feed your family. You're hoping to have a chicken on Sunday night. You'd like, maybe you go to church. Maybe you just are looking forward to a good TV show. We're all just trying to, you know, live our lives. So to separate people out by using a word like deplorable, I was horrified. Now, of course, I've used much worse words than that. And in my little neighborhood where I live now, there were only two Trump flags in this like 140, 40 houses. Everybody else had Biden signed up. And I need you to know, I'm I'm not the good person I used to think of because I remember as I walked by the Trump signs, I think if, you, if any of those people come out of their house and they need help, I'm not helping them. <laughs> and I wasn't impressed with my own humanity at that moment. My but, humanity is, you know, I think everybody's humanity has been tested. And tested. they say, how, how are we going to heal? I, I don't really have that. All I'm trying to do is stay healed with the people that are closer to not hanging me and lynching yeah. me. That's why Thank you. if you don't have any plans on hanging me and lynching me, I can work with you. And that is an incredibly dramatic and accurate statement. That's the part that's shitty about it. If you're not you know, planning on putting your foot on my neck or my grandkids' neck, I could work with you. <laughs> Thank you. You know, women have had their own, women, gays, we're all in the same, as you said, we're all in the same pie. We are. We just, we have different slices of the pie and they impact That's us right. differently. Certainly some worse than others. So what do you think, I mean, I, I would like, I'm glad that there's another federal holiday. I'm glad that people, hopefully, people will learn more about Juneteenth and have some education about it. I'd also like to see that, I'd like to see the day that we vote be a national holiday. So anyone right. that, everybody gets a paid day off from their job so that they're motivated to vote, I think would be another great holiday to have. You said before, when we started talking, before we started recording, you were saying in many urban areas that there had been celebrations of Juneteenth for a long time. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I just was lazy. And in fact, a Black author named um, 
Richard Wright. He wrote one big book that was a huge book called Native Son. Oh, okay. And then he didn't write anything for a long time. And then sometime after his death, they found another manuscript about Juneteenth. Got it. And then I read that. But, you know, also you have to sometimes be ready to read stuff, ready to hear stuff. I don't know that I was in a place to be uh, really the historian, as it were. Get it. So I read it and kind of didn't read it. But I, I've been to Juneteenth parades, and I've been to Juneteenth festivities, but and I didn't go to any this year. I, I'm like, yeah, that's really good, but I am more concerned at this point in time that people have a right to vote. I agree. We've seen some changes in the, the faces of the people and our representatives and senators um, at last. Do you know what I mean? So we need, voting is the only way, and the only way we can make really, to me, long lasting changes is by who is our, our, con is our Congress. So voting, you see it, right? That's all we can do. I, can, do I think we can get rid of spe special interest groups? Not easily. But if we vote different people into Congress as senators and representatives, we have a chance. So I couldn't agree with you more. Now, Andrea, with all this going on, and I know you've been a ghostwriter. I know your website. So when people want to reach out to you, we're going to put information up about you. And I know your website is under construction, you it told is. me. Tell me about your new found or rekindled passion about food writing. What's brought this about? I was trying to think when I told you about this, when it was that I was doing a lot of food writing. Okay. I primarily write about health. Got it. But if you look at my Facebook page, whenever somebody posts a pretty cake, I'm all in <laughs> Give me a good stew, I'm all in, right? Uh, so back then I was doing a lot of food writing and I was going to the Greenbrier. You and I talked about that to the Food Writers Symposium because I wanted to up my game. So I probably went for three years. But also I did the, what do you call it? The, uh, you know, the series that's the best food writing of every year. Oh, yes, absolutely. So I had a debut in that. <gasps> Congratulations. Thank you. But I, I love, love, love. It was a piece I actually did for Country Living. And Country live, and uh, it was selected to be a part of the food writing for that year. I think it was 2008. That's how, that's how long ago it was. Uh, and then I got really, 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 really busy with the uh, health stuff, health, health policy, Affordable Care Act, covering more hard news, right? So the food writing sort of went by the wayside. Uh, this moment in time, and I, I would say the last year, I've been drawn to writing about food again and getting to know food writers and being upset that we're not seeing enough food writers diverse. I agree. Actually, I met Tony Tipton Martin. Of course. And 
having lots of conversations with her and some other amazing food writers and Nancy McDermott, all of these wonderful women. And I'm like, yeah, I still there's still stories that need to be told. And then I went to, in North Carolina, there's a spot they used to have a festival called the Terravita Festival. And that's where I, I just went on a whim. I saw them advertise it. I bought a plane ticket. I went. And then I got there and I'm like, you don't know a single soul here in the middle of this, this red state. <laughs> and nobody knows that you're here because I don't know that I really told anybody that that's where I'm going. And so you're never going to be seen or heard from again. But it was amazing. I met or got reconnected with a bunch of food writers that I had known over the years. And I'm like, yeah, I'm all in. How fabulous. It's inspirational. Okay. And it's because I look at Jessica Harris, Dr. Harris, who I've only, I've met once. I met her at a program at ICP, but it was a smaller group. And right after that, so this is back in the beginning of the nineties, right after that high on the hog came out. So I bought it. I read it then, but, and I've, I worked in TV for years, TV shows, networks. So when that, when her book high on the hog first came out I said I worked I was working for the learning channel then I said to people the executives in charge this book is a tv show and people like went uh I don't think so Denise and I said no this book is a tv show and the reason was I was working it was the very it was before B Smith there was a woman here from LA her name was Yvonne White and she was a party planner And so the Learning Channel, I was the culinary producer. We were producing a show. She was Black with this beautiful event planner in Los Angeles. And it was a beautiful show. And it did all right. Um, I don't think Yvonne's heart was in it as much as she was very talented. But and then it sold and blah, blah, blah. So that's when I, I was already there at the Learning Channel. I said, let's do High on the Hog. No, no one cared. Then B. Smith showed up. And of course, she already had the following as a model and she owned some restaurants. So luckily, B. Smith kind of took over that mantle. But I'll tell you, Andrea, I mean, here it is, 2020. Dr. Harris's book came out in the 90s. Yeah. 25 years. And now, and I love it and I love the show. My only criticism is the whole show is I could have seen Dr. Harris in it more. Okay. But maybe more is coming and I'll get, because I love seeing her on the screen. It was so successful that I'm sure that you will see more, but I will say that I believe in right time, right order. And if it had come out earlier, you would not have had the wealth of these Black chefs and Black communities of food. You're probably right. It would have been a different show And, you know, it would have been a nickel and dime show. You could look at the production of this and know that they, that they did their thing. Let me, let me tell you something about the production value is beautiful. So Jessica Harris and I went on, I was on my very first trip abroad with, it was one of those food writer trips, right? And she was on the trip and I didn't know who she was. I didn't, I mean, I really didn't know who she was. Later, I found out that she's like 
food history royalty. She's the goddess of food history, yes. The queen. And, and she were, she scared me because, <laughs> and you go, it depends on where you went to high school. There's always this teacher who articulates every letter of every word that they say. And they kind of look down their glasses at you, not in a condescending way. That's what they, they're just looking the way they look. But to you, you're all you're seeing is somebody saying, you dumbass. And I got really afraid of her. So I don't think I had a, a decent conversation with her the whole time. And then later somebody said, remember when we were on that trip with her? I'm like, oh, no kidding. <laughs> you know what? I've had that experience sometimes when you find out but i mean i've been on food trips to icp where there was an idol someone who i idolized sitting next to me andrea and for me who can can't shut up i've been tongue-tied or sometimes i think i'm just in awe i've worked with tons of celebrities i've never felt that way about celebrities okay you meet them you realize they had a good makeup artist they got a good pr machine that's right they are a good actor. They might be the shittiest human being when the, you know, when the camera goes off. So I've never felt that way. But I have been in food groups with someone like Jessica Harris, where I sound just stupid <laughs> because I can't think of anything to say. I understand that. Feeling. My very first interview with a celebrity, and at that point, she was not actually what you would consider a celebrity, was... Maya Angelou. Oh. And that was like my first interview out the gate, if you can imagine. With 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 no real chops, here you show up with your little stupid self asking questions. And I practiced, I did all of my homework, I did my research. Now the interview was gonna be on the phone, but I still practice. I don't know what I, I don't know. I was laying out my clothes like she was going to see me. It was crazy. And I asked her a question that she thought I ought to know. Oh. And she read me the riot. I could hardly breathe. Oh. Uh, you know, so I, I tell young writers, don't be so quick to jump in front of somebody you admire because you could end up looking like a dumbass, which I did. <laughs> and... I mean, literally, I cried for a solid month because I had looked stupid in front of her. Oh. But she knew, oh, the, the other thing was, I decided to pour my heart out in a fan letter to her while I was still in tears. So I wrote this letter, and this was before I was using the computer, so it was a letter. And like a couple of weeks later, I get this phone call from her people saying, Dr. Angelou is going to be at Michigan State University and she's going to be there for two days. She would like for you to hang out with her. Yeah. Well, so you just never know what's going to happen. And, and like, so she's tall, was very tall. And I am very not. <laughs> I like, I think the top of my, the top of my head came to like her boob line or something. And, and there's the there's this picture of me and her where I look all I was 36, but I looked all of 15 compared to this really tall woman. And I'm kind of looking up at her like, I can't believe it's you. 
You know what? Oh, Andrea, that's so precious. That's such a dear story. And that then she responded to your letter. It's so dear. When you said that, when I spoke of Yvonne White, so here's this tall, beautiful black woman. She was probably early 30s. Now I was 40. And so I'm this 40 year old dumpling looking white woman. And they kept taking pictures of us on the set. Candid pictures. So in every picture, she got more beautiful and I became like this smaller, whiter dumpling. <laughs> People, And then the producer would say, oh, I don't think we should use this picture. I don't think we could use it. Indeed, but you know, don't you think, but this is something that happens with women of a certain age. I'm, I'm fascinated by this. And I, that may, this may be my next book. When people talk about how as they age, they get invisible. Oh yeah. oh and, yeah. And I refuse, except as I talk to you now, I got my picture up, I didn't let you see me, but I, I refuse. I feel like if you are feeling invisible, you have given up your power. That, I mean, I, okay, let me speak for myself. Mm. I tried to think about how I would become invisible with anybody. If I did, I, it's because I'm tired or it wasn't that deep. And I didn't feel like talking to you anyway, or I don't know. Uh, I think that women forget that they have earned every stripe that they have. All right, now, first of all, Andrew, I want you to work on this book. And second of all, you're can, gonna have to come back and be a guest again, and we can talk about the in the invisibility of women as we age. Women feel invisible, and then, as you just said, they give their power away because after you become invisible for a certain amount of time, whether it be the boy at the market who no longer offers to carry your groceries out, or the the person, the young guy that cuts in front of you at the post office because he didn't even notice you, or you're moving too slowly for him or all the ways that we're invisible. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I I, it happens to me constantly because now I'm just an, a little gray haired old white dumpling. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so, so I understand it. And one of the things for me is when I want to be invisible, I can, but you know what the other side of the coin is of invisibility at, or at this age, a woman behind a certain age, I got nothing to lose. I'm going to say whatever the hell I want to. And got nothing to lose. Got nothing. What are they going to do to me? That's what I always say to Sydney anymore. I'm already old and it's hard to walk. What are you going to do to me? I'm like, is it going to cost me a TV show? No, I don't have one. That's right. Is, is it going to cost me a million dollars? No, I no. Is it going to cost me my dog? No, my dog don't like anybody but me and my husband anyway. Right. So you You can see that. Standing up, saying what you want to. My father's line was always, tell the truth and shame the devil. And when he said it to us when we were kids, I'm not even I'm not sure I understood it. But as I've gotten older, I don't care, Andrea. Do you know? And I don't mean that in a, uh, 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 I care about people's feelings. I don't want to offend someone. But I'm going to tell you something. By calling someone, I'm love you 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 use dumbass I, cindy knows i say my favorite one of my favorite things i'll say oh that, they're just a turd or a shithead and if that offends someone i'm sorry <laughs> but 
I'm not changing, not at 70. I'm not, I'm not changing how, you know, the words I use because you have some sort of sense of civility that I don't have. I just think that it's, that's a bunch of crap. I am enjoying this point in my life. I will be 65 in December. Okay. And I'm in the process of researching and writing about everything you need to know about Medicare. Oh, wonderful. And and I'm doing it with a glass of brown liquor because that's what it takes, right? You can't drink water and do this. You have to like... Now, Andrea, I don't know how to tell you this, but you're not gonna lose me. I'm sticking to you like brioche to an ungreased pan. You drink brown. Okay, is that, is that right? Is yeah, that, I'm sticking okay. to you. I'm sticking to you. We're gonna call you again. You have to come back. All, I couldn't agree more. You know, there's such a freedom that comes and that's the part, that's the other side of the coin as I say, I wouldn't go back. I don't wanna be younger. I like being the age I am. Actually, I'm amazed I'm the age I am. And there is, there is a freedom in it. Other stuff just doesn't happen. Do you know what I mean? You just don't have to worry about it anymore. Speaking of brown liquor though, I can see, I can, listen, I can see Cindy and she's like, they have gone off the rails. Where is the brown liquor? Now, I, see, I see you, Cindy. You know what? That's another thing. That doesn't take much. And if people don't know, I mean, just listen to any of the podcasts, look at a video, read my posts. I have ADD. I, I can't help it. And you know what? I'm working with it now. I just let it flow. What the hell difference does it make? what it is. That it is what it is. All right, Miss Andrea, you're going to come back and be a guest again. We want people to ask questions. They can contact us at womenbeyond at icloud.com. And then if people want to reach out directly to you, we will give them one of your websites. So if they have questions or they need to hire you for consulting or for being a ghostwriter or a writing a historian, um, I can't thank you enough. Or a, pole, or a pole dancer, okay? Yeah. Now, listen, I... Never mind. I'm just kidding. I know that. <laughs> I can tell you something. When that expression came in, I re as a child, my father used to say, my girls are going to college. Do you know what I mean? Which was not, nobody else in my family had ever gone to college. Their parents didn't go to college. They didn't go to college. Because I don't want them to end up being strippers. And my mother would say, Johnny, the girls aren't going to be strippers. But now when I have friends whose children are bright or excitable or whatever, I said, you got to get, that kid's got to go to college. They don't end up being a bold dancer. I right. I get it. I we're never. Mar we're married to Donald Trump next. Oh my God. You know what? Ain't that the truth? And we get the beds that we lie in, and uh, that one's an ugly one. That's all I can say. All right. Well, thank you, man. Let me know. I'm here. Okay. It was my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. And again, womenbeyondacertainage.com, womenbeyondacertainage on our Facebook page. And thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Andrea. And thank you, Miss Cindy. Bye-bye. Thank you. <laughs>